0: Today is the greatest hero of all time. It's Jesus. And Jesus has run this same race. Isn't it great to know that we serve a God that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, of our frailties? He he knows because he's run this race. In fact, I'm going to show you that in Scripture in just a moment. But Jesus has run this race. Matter of fact, when he ran this race, he was in the flesh, so everything didn't go pretty for him, he had some obstacles to overcome, also. And, uh, and Jesus kind of, this week between Palm Sunday, which is today, and Good Friday, uh, I'm telling you a lot transpired in that time. Jesus basically would say to us, Here's how to run the race when you're having a bad day. How many have ever had a bad day? And how many know a bad day is not just a 24-hour period? A bad day can be, you know, metaphorical for a bad day can turn into a bad week. How many know exactly what I'm saying, right? Or a bad month or a bad season and you just kind of get in this rut and I'm going through this thing. Well, Jesus comes out of the stands and even Jesus and his life is echoing, I know how to run when everything is coming down on me, when I'm having a bad day or a bad season. See when we go through bad things that's not an excuse to get on the sidelines but Jesus shows us that we got to just keep running the race. We call it Good Friday. We'll celebrate that next Friday but we call it in our vocabulary Good Friday but how many know for Jesus it was anything but a good Friday. I mean, a lot of bad things happened that triggered a lot of other things on that day. I mean, just think about it. You know, as Christians, we've heard this story so much that sometimes we miss the humanity of it or the emotions of it. But imagine one of your, your closest guys to you, Judas, sells him out for a chunk of money. I mean, I I know we hear that a lot, but imagine, put yourself in that situation and maybe you've been there where somebody close to you has turned their back on you, sold you out, gossiped about you, lied about you. I'm telling you, those are, that's some pretty drastic stuff if that was it. But then as disciples, at least 11 of them, they took off and ran. How many know it's easy to have friends when you're in good times, but when you're in bad times, that's when you really need them. When you're going through the bad times, you really discover who your friends are. And all of them split after promising, I'll never leave you. Then he got falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused of something? I've been falsely accused. And there is nothing worse than being falsely accused of something and being lied about. And so he's being falsely accused. He's in a kangaroo court getting a terrible trial. And the crowd begins to call out, we want Barabbas, who's a known, th- a known murderer. I mean, talk about a blow to your ego when the people would rather have this guy than have you. The very people that a week ago on Sunday were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, are now the ones yelling, crucify him. I'm telling you, that's a bad day. And I just have a feeling, and a lot of people won't say this, but I'm just going to go out there and say it. I have a feeling that in Jesus' flesh, he knew what it felt like to have a bad day and almost want to give up. Now, before you think that's heresy, there's nothing wrong with being tempted. There's something wrong with giving in to the temptation. And in his flesh, and here's why I say that, in his flesh, I think he knows what it feels like to just say, man, I can't do this. Because we see a picture of him in the garden saying, God, if there's any way, Father, can you get me out of this deal? In fact, he's so intense about it that he's sweating drops of blood. Man, that's some pretty intense get me out of this thing. Hebrews chapter number 12 has been our our theme verse. And I want to read it to you today out of the Message Bible. I've read to you uh, for the last four weeks verses number one and sometimes verse number two, but I have not read to you verses three, one, two, and three. And today I want to read it just from a little bit different perspective. This is the message. We usually read it out of the NIV, but I just kind of want you to hear it from a little bit different perspective today because it goes into watching how Jesus ran his race. Let's look at it. It says, Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans are cheering us on. Isn't that great to know? The veterans, they're they're cheering for us. And I like to imagine them actually shouting out my name. I like to think of Noah saying, come on, Ken. One man can make a difference. Keep on running. Keep on doing what God has called you to do. And then it goes on. It says, it means we better get on with it. Strip down. Start running. And never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Watch these next words. Study how he did it. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to study how Jesus ran his race. And I think it will bring some encouragement. And a lot of people say, yeah, but that's Jesus. Yes, that's true. But he was in the flesh. Tempted by the same things that we're tempted by. Having the same emotions, the same physical issues, the same restrictions. He was in the body just like we are. And the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to study how Jesus ran this race because we can learn some things from it. It goes on to say this, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Isn't that great? Man, I wish I could say that. There's been times I've lost sight of where I'm going. There's been times I just lose, okay, my focus, my goals. But it says he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. So when you find yourself flagging, faith. Anybody ever find yourself faltering or flagging or just kind of discouraged? Anybody? I just need to see who I'm going to talk to today. All right. Okay. So when you find yourself, notice the word when, that means we all will. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over the story again. In other words, come on, Christians, don't get bored with the story of Jesus. Look at it again. Study it again. That's what we're going to do today. Item by item. That long litany of hostility that he plowed through. You see, sometimes breaching our goals is not exhilarating. Some days it's just doing the same old thing, plowing through the same things. It says the long litany of hostility that he plowed through that will shoot adrenaline into your soul. Come on, isn't that good? I mean, that's better than watching a Rocky movie. Come on, how many guys know what I'm talking about? You watch a little Rocky and you feel like, I'm going to fight somebody. I just want to punch somebody, you know? But he's saying that when you see Jesus running the race, it ought to shoot some adrenaline into your soul to make you say, I'm going to get up and do this thing. Because Jesus did it in the flesh, and if he did it, he's given me the power to do it also. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the life of Jesus, the greatest runner that's ever run this Christian race. And we're going to look at his life. And today what I want to try to do in our next few minutes together, it's a long list, but I'm going to try to pull seven things that Jesus did. Matter of fact, there are the seven statements, the seven last statements of Jesus before he died on the cross. Matter of fact, this is actually just a little trivia. This message is actually... A rewrite of one of the very first messages I've ever preached in my life. It was back like in 1988-ish. I I wrote a message called The Last Words of Jesus. And I want you to know it was horrible. It was just a terrible message. And I want you to know I've had 20-some-odd years to refine this message and rewrite it, and you're going to get the better end of the deal. I just want you to know that, all right? And so this is kind of a rewrite of a horrible message uh, of a beginning preacher who you could hear the knees knocking behind. That's when we had pulpits and, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, this is kind of one of those rewrites, but it really ministers to me seven statements that I believe Jesus is saying to us today about being in our race Now, the statements are going to be mine that he says, but all of them come from a scripture reference that I'll give you. So let's dive into it. Number one, the first thing that I think Jesus would say to us is forgive everyone who is trying to destroy your life. Wow. All the ameners have had somebody try to destroy their life, right? Huh? I I know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I know all that stuff, but let's just get real today. I feel like there are just people that are on this earth, and their sole goal is to mess my life up. Anybody else ever feel like that? It's like, what is your problem, you know? I I know this isn't theologically correct, but let's just kind of misery loves company for a minute kind of thing. You know, I know that sometimes the Bible says that we could be entertaining angels. In other words, you know, the the person in the coffee shop could actually be an angel. Well, the scripture doesn't teach us this, in, in, in fact, to the contrary, but I think... I've often thought, well, if God has angels in the flesh, the devil must have demons here in the flesh, because there's some people, man, it's like they're a whole goal. It's like the angel showed up to help me with that problem, but the problem came from the devil. How I many you know what I'm saying, right? I think some people snuck into growth track 301 where you find your spiritual gift, and they discovered their spiritual gift is to mess your life up. It's just their spiritual gift. They're here on this earth to how many of you ever felt like that besides me, right? It's like it comes easy to them, but Jesus is basically saying, "Look, you got to forgive everyone who is trying to destroy your life." And I don't know about you, but relationship wounds, man, they derail me quick. I, I, I don't, because I, I, I love deep, and I'm a loyal person. And when I make a friend, I feel like that's they're we're in. I mean, we're in this thing. And, and when a relationship wound comes, when somebody hurts me, man, that hurts. Bad. Matter of fact, if there's anything that gets me like, forget this. I don't want to run this race. And, And God has helped me with this. But this has been one of my Achilles because it hurts so deep. But then I look at the life of Jesus as he ran his race. You want to talk about being hurt by those that are close to you? Wow. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But the first thing Jesus says after being nailed to the cross. Now, before I go to that verse... He's saying, forgive everyone who's trying to destroy your life. So here's Jesus on the cross. Now, the crucifixion was designed uh, really for the person to suffocate. So I won't get into all the graphic details, but Jesus is on the cross. His his shoulder joints, according to scholars and, and, and people that have studied this, his shoulder joints are dislocated. His body is kind of caved in on his lungs. So he's literally suffocating. And, and in order for him to get a breath, he has to pull the weight of his body off his lungs. He can't do that because his shoulders are dislocated. So on the nails, he pulls himself <sighs> up on his nails. And the first thing that Jesus says, we see him whipped and crucified, put on the cross, nailed to the cross, dropped in the hole. There he is. And the first thing he says is Luke chapter number 23, verse number 34. Jesus says... Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Wow. How many know that's a hard thing to do? It's easy for me to stand here and say it. It's even right now easy for you to even hear it. But get in that situation. And man, it's a challenge. Would you agree with me today? It it is a challenge. It's crazy hard to do. But here's the challenge I want to give you today. Don't do it for the person. Do it for yourself. Don't do it for the, and I'm speaking out of experience. Don't do it for the person if you can, but do it for yourself because here's the reality. I don't think it is possible for you to keep running your race and to reach your goal and your destiny if you have unforgiveness in your heart. Because unforgiveness turns into resentment, and resentment will cloud the way, and you've lost the goal of where you're running to. And the writer of Hebrews already said, cast aside everything that entangles us, and how many know bitter roots of resentment and unforgiveness, they will entangle us, and we are no longer able to get to the goal. You can still be mad at husband number one, and you're entangled by resentment and unforgiveness or wife number one. And now you're with wife number two or husband number two, and you can't reach the goal in that relationship because you have unforgiveness and resentment in the past one. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and this is serious stuff. I've been through that. I've had people turn on me. I've had people hurt me. And I'm telling you, there's nothing worse. But I had to forgive them so that I could reach my goal. In 1992, I got to hear Paul Young-E-Cho, who pastors the biggest church in the world in Korea, 100,000 plus people. And in his broken English... Sometimes he would use the wrong words in the wrong place and I remember him getting up at a council meeting in Indianapolis And he got up and he said I must forgive lots of people because I hate lots of people (laughs) How how many can relate to
1: that? I mean the pastor of the
0: world's largest, can be that honest, I guess I can be honest too, you know what I'm saying? But Jesus thought that forgiveness was so important that he told us that we should forgive every single day. Matter of fact, make it a part of your prayer. We you know the Lord's Prayer. It says this. The Lord's Prayer tells us, I think it's in the book of Matthew. Yeah, Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 15. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. Now, I, this could make a whole series, and I'm not going to make a series out of it, but let me just give you a couple of high points real quick. Because forgiveness, some of you are entangled in your race because you can't, you haven't forgiven. And resentment and bitterness keeps you from running your race. But let's look at Jesus and the first thing he does is say, Father, forgive me. They They don't get it. I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this dark world. And forgiveness, I want you to know, is not this warm, fuzzy feeling that you just feel like all warm and fuzzy toward that person. In fact, let me just give you a couple real quick things what forgiveness is not. I don't know if it's in your notes or not, but as my friend Robert Morris would say, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down, okay? So, anyway, he said and this is what I think. It's not saying that what they did was okay. Okay? So, forgiveness is not is not saying what they did to you is okay. How many you understand what I'm saying, all right? It's not saying okay, it really wasn't that big a deal. Yes, it was a big deal. It hurt you, it, and and it, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not saying what you did was okay. And and then and then it, it's and it's also not minimizing the sin. Now guys, men, we have a tendency more to do this than women. It's not that women can't do it, but but men have a tendency to minimize it. We act like, oh, that didn't hurt. <laughs> You guys love that. You know, you got your head busted open. Your brains are leaking out. That didn't hurt, you know. Give me my hammer. Let me finish the project, you know. And and we have a tendency to do that in life. And we minimize the thing that happened to us or we bury the thing. But when you bury that seed of hurt, I promise you it will come out somewhere in life. It will manifest somewhere. Unresolved hurts come out in anger. They come out in resentment. They come out building walls. And, and I don't want to get too deep into that today. But it will come out somewhere. So being able to verbalize, this bothered me executes and kills that root from growing in our life is everybody with me on that one and then lastly it's not instant restoration to the relationship and I'd love to spend a Sunday just on this when I forgive somebody it's not instant restoration to that to that relationship and, and I know there's Christians, and oh, yeah, but we're supposed to love and the prodigal son, his dad didn't put him on probation and all that. Well, there's a couple of keys to that. If I forgive that person and they're repentant, then it can begin the process of restoring that relationship. But if I forgive that person and they're not repentant, I'm not going to go hang out with them again. In other words, I'm not going to put myself in the position for that to happen again. There's some people that have been friends in my life that have lied about me and lied on me and have never repented. And I'm smart enough to know I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to get myself in that. If you steal my car, I'm not going to leave my keys lying around. How many know what I'm saying. Right. (laughs) Does does that make sense? So the first thing Jesus says to us in this race that we need to hear, forgive everyone who's trying to destroy your life. The second thing I think he would say is help others. Just help others. In fact, he's just repeating what Rebecca's already said. Give to others. Matter of fact, don't just help others, but, but look for those who are experiencing the same struggle. And when you help them, it will help you. I don't know what this is. I think it's just a supernatural thing. When you're struggling with something, you can identify somebody else's struggle. hmm I can, I can spot an insecure, hurting guy in a second because I lived a lot of my life being insecure and hurting from past wounds. And I can spot it. I can spot it by how he treats his wife, how he acts toward others. How he, I mean, I can just spot it because I've been there. And, and so there's other things that I'm oblivious to, but I can spot that one. And, and, and when you help others along the way, it will help you. There's something just supernatural about that because you reap what you sow. Matter of fact, let's go to scripture on this one. In Luke chapter number 23, we see Jesus hanging uh, in the middle of two thieves. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. In other words, he's saying this in kind of a condescending way. But the other guy says, no, no. Uh, He rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished. Justly, for uh, for for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, "I love this." Then he said, "Jesus, remember me when you come into." In other words, Jesus, I need some help here. I'm dying here as a criminal. I did the crime. I'm dying for the crime, man. I need you to help me. And Jesus, now before we go there, I want you to see. Here's Jesus, remember suffocating on the cross. <sighs> And this guy says, hey, could you help me out? (laughs) I mean, Jesus could have very easily said, look, dude, I got my own issues going on right now. (laughs) I mean, really, right? I mean, hey, come on, I'm a little busy here, forgiving the whole world. (laughs) But he doesn't. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that a powerful statement? I really want to be more like that. I'm trying. I don't always succeed. But man, I want to be more like that. When I'm having my needs, it's like, okay, let me get all my issues solved. Then I'll help others. Well, guess what? When we live that way, the devil will make sure there's always our issues. But if while we're in our issues, we are ministering, I'm telling you, all of a sudden, our issues become less than. Some of the people that are holding ministry positions on our dream team and dream team captains that are smiling, greeting you and believe in God and praying with you. They're going through some of the craziest things you could ever imagine, but they know the benefit of helping others. How many know that's true? I want us so desperately to be the kind of church that finds a hurt and heals it and finds a need and fills it. That's why, listen, this about inviting people to church on Easter Sunday. It's not just about making the church grow. Let me tell you, it will benefit you. And I want to do everything I can to make it easy for you. We put tickets in your hands. They can come free. They don't have to have the ticket. We're doing a a kind of an illustrated message. We always try to take what's real popular in Christianity, like Christmas and Easter, because people have heard those messages so much, and take just a little different angle on it so they can hear it in a fresh kind of way. Let me tell you, if there's ever a Sunday, 85% of non-churchgoers said they'd go to church on Easter and Christmas if somebody would ask them. Wow. Let's find a need and fill it. Let's find a hurt and heal it. Let's not just stick the the ticket on a bulletin board at work. But let's ask somebody, hey, look, I'll meet you there at 9.30. I'll meet you there at 11. We could have coffee before. In fact, I'll I'll get you a coffee and breakfast at the church. They don't have to know that it's free, all right? You know, you just tell them, I'll buy you breakfast that day. All right, so anyway. See, when we do this, there's a promise. Isaiah says this. Uh, Isaiah 58 says Verse number 10 says, when we help others, watch this. If you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. In other words, your dark moments, God will bring you breakthrough because you're concerned about other people. Wow. I mean, we could just end right there, right? That's good stuff. The third thing that I think Jesus is saying to us as we run our race is be sure you've taken care of those that are the closest to you. Be sure you've taken care of those that are the closest to you. I don't know about you. I have a feeling we all have this human nature about us that when, 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 when we have this tendency that when we're having a bad day, that we're rude to those that are the closest to us. In fact, I heard somebody say years ago, home is where we go when we're try- tired of being nice to everybody. <laughs> You know, it's like, man, I'll just take them for granted, you old raggedy, you know. And you know what? We have control of that. I've seen it happen. You're driving to church. Maybe because I've seen it in the mirror. You're driving to church and you're arguing all the way to church. I know you've never done that, but how many of you know somebody that's done that? Let me just hear you. And all the way to church, you're like, you're making me late. Well, if you would help out with the kids and do more, and the kids are in the back, don't argue, and they're screaming and crying. Oh, the devil's in the car. And mom and dad are yelling, you're all snagglefoot, and you're yelling, you get out of the car, you slam the door, you walk up to the door, just there to greet us. How you doing? Oh, we're good. good. How <laughs> do Amen. Glory to God. Come on, you know why you're laughing? Because we've all done it. But Jesus, man, I'm telling you, he is so selfless. Wow, John chapter number 19 shows us this principle. When Jesus saw his mother, now watch this, he's hanging on the cross. The one that's closest to him, the two that are closest to him are right there. John is the only one that out of all the disciples that went to the cross... And he's there with Jesus' mother. He's there. Everybody else is scattered. And Jesus is... How many know this is a good opportunity for Jesus to be bitter? Man, I'm hurting here. Where are those stinking rotten disciples? I can't believe they took a Sunday off. Of all Sundays, huh? They are missing on Easter Sunday. You know, kind of thing. Good Friday, whatever. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples... Whom he loved, I always think this is funny because this comes out of the book of John. So John wrote this, and John's saying, I'm the <laughs> disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> Check me out, I'm at the cross, man. Okay, anyway, it says, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her. Now watch this, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, John, here is your mother. Now let me, let, let me translate that. Basically, he's looking down off the cross, and he's taking care of those that are the closest to him. You say, Mom? Now, many scholars believe that Joseph, his earthly father, died somewhere along the journey. That's why he's not at the cross. And we never hear from Joseph again throughout Scripture. Many believe that somewhere he died. But, but basically, in other words, this would be inappropriate for Jesus to even say this if Joseph was living. And so he looks down and says, Mom, um, John's going to take care of you. Then he looks down at John and says, John, take care of your mom. That's what's going on. You want to talk about selfless. Jesus is saying in a bad day, make sure you take care of those that are the closest to you. Wow. It's a huge statement. On his worst day, he's not harming those that are close to him. He's loving those that are close to him. How many marriages would be a lot better if we just did that? How many homes would be better? How many churches? How many, how many things would just be better if we got the attention off us and we put the care on somebody else? When my kids were still little, they're grown now, but when they were little, they got me something for Father's Day. I can't remember a plaque or a picture or something. And and I think it was a picture with a pen set in it, and it had a little tag on it, and the tag was clear, and I could put whatever I wanted. And and just through conversation with them, we came up with this little thing, uh, and I went and got it engraved on there. It said, save some for home. And then I lived, the times when I'd get busy, all of a sudden I'd remember, hey, look, your fuel tank is full at the beginning of every day. And I could spend it everywhere else and come home absolutely with no joy and no peace and grumpy and ornery. But my kids remind me, save some for home. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Jesus said, in this race, watch out and take care of those that are the closest to you. When you do that, you'll reap what you sow because somebody else will minister to your needs. Amen? Amen. Isn't that good? Number four, the fourth thing that Jesus says to us is real. I love this one. He says, realize that until we get to heaven, there are some things we're just not going to understand. Have you ever gone through something you still don't get it? You're like, why did I have to go through that? Uh, well, maybe you found the answer to that, but I don't always. I've gone through some hard times, and I've wondered, okay, why in the world am I going through this? I've gone through some bad days that have turned into bad seasons, and I'm like, why me, God? And and basically, I don't even say it that nice. I'm like, what's up with that? You know, that kind of thing. It's like, why, why does this have to happen? And then... If you grew up in a hard old school religion, you you start throwing all your good deeds in there. Well, God, you know I'm praying every day. Well, God, you know I'm giving in the offering. You know I love you like John, like more than anybody else. I'm the guy you love. You know, you start throwing all that out there, like, what's up, huh? But Jesus teaches us something very important. Bad things do happen to good people because we live in a fallen world. And, And as I've said many times, When something bad happens, it's not God's judgment. God already put his judgment on Jesus. Bad things happen because we live in a bad, sin-fallen world. And sometimes we're going to go through things that your pastor doesn't have the answer and that you might not have the answer. Matter of fact, even Jesus, in his worst day, asked the question, why? Let's look at it. About 3 in the afternoon Jesus cried out in a loud voice, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," which means, "My God, my God, why?" Right? He's closer to his father than any of us, but he still don't understand at that moment. His body's worn out, he's tired, he's been abused, he's been mistreated, he's been abandoned. He's gone without sleep. His emotions are all over the place. Why? Because he's made out of the same thing we are. And he says, God, why? And I want to just take the guilt off and the condemnation off if you've ever asked the question, why? Because even Jesus asked the question, why? And while we run our race, he wants you to know that on this side of heaven, there's going to be some things that we simply don't understand. And man, I've got a long list of them. I've stood and done funerals for month, days old babies, and I don't understand why. I've seen all kinds of people go through all kinds of things, including myself. And there's some things that I just don't know why. But it's then I have to decide I'm going to keep on running and trust him when I can't trace him. Amen? And Jesus tells us to do the same thing. The next thing that I think Jesus would say to us is number five. I think he would say, be human enough to acknowledge when you have a need. Be human enough to acknowledge when you have a need. Now, I'm just going to say something. When I was writing this message, I outlined this whole series last summer during the Olympics. I outlined the whole kind of the amazing race thing. But it was on January the 3rd that I was actually writing this particular message about, you know, Jesus as part of the race. The last part, and I was just kind of filling it all in. And I wrote this down because on January the 3rd, Jeff Lowermilk called me. And when Jeff's one of our elders sitting right over here, he's one of the elders of the church. And we have this great relationship. And the relationship is he's my friend, I'm his friend, and we're honest with each other. That I'll pray for him, he'll pray for me if we're having a bad day kind of thing. And so he called me one day. I seen it was him. I picked up the phone. I said, hey, bro, how you doing? He said, I'm doing terrible. Now, how many know there's some people that no matter what's going on, they're always going to say I'm doing terrible? (laughs) And so you don't even know what to believe, you know. It could be they stubbed their toe. But there's other people that you know when they say that, "Uh uh-oh, this is serious. And on that day, he called me and said, hey, Ken, look, the co-founder of Edge, which is a men's ministry that Jeff is a part of that ministers to... Dozens and dozens of men needing inner healing. He said the co-founder of Edge Ministry that we work with, and he, he just died. Suddenly, I'm having a bad day. And what I appreciate so much about it is Jeff was human enough to acknowledge he had a need. And what would happen if more of us did that? What would happen if we quit acting like we got it all together... What would happen if we just got on? I'm not talking about pouring out all your faults all over every time we're together. But what would happen if we got involved in a small group or a group of close friends and invested in a relationship and recognized that sometimes I'm going to need somebody to be real with. Somebody to say, I'm really not doing that good. And I don't know about you, but my human nature is when I need friends the most is when I tend to push away the most. Anybody else is like, I got this. And, and, and people that need to be in church the most are the people that push away. People that need to have friendships and in a small group, oh, I'm not going and I'm not going to be a part of that. But watch, Jesus demonstrates to us in uh, John chapter number 19, he's just about ready to die. His pain is at the highest level. And Jesus later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, watch what he says. He says, I'm thirsty. I'm in need, and, and I see some vinegar and wine down there. I can't get it in my flesh. I need somebody to help me out, and here's what I've come to discover in life. I get thirsty, yeah. and so do you. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to run this race, you've got to be human enough to acknowledge when you are in need. There's no such thing as self-made people. And I would just be bold enough to say, if you proclaim you're self-made, I'd say you're not much. Because everybody needs somebody. That's why I've determined that this church will not be an event-driven church. This church is a relationship-driven church. Seventy percent of our people right now of this church are involved in small group. And I am determined that we are going to invest in relationships and friendships and friendships and relationships and friendships and relationships relationships because I think that's what pleases the heart of God. And there are days i just got to say I'm human enough to acknowledge that while I'm your pastor, I have needs just like you. And you have needs behind that big smile, behind everything okay you're going to have a need sometime it might not be today but I promise you if you live long enough you're going to need a friend somewhere that you need to call when the church is not open at two o'clock in the morning you're going to need a friend not a church the church a friend am I right about it I've invested greatly in we have overseers of our church and just this week I talked to two of them. One, I'll just tell you my story real quick, and then I got two more that'll just take a couple minutes. I talked to my, one of our overseers, many of you know, Corey Hardesty. I said, hey, look, Corey, I know that all-access conference is coming up, and uh, it's where all of us art pastors get together, and it's just a great time for us not to preach and be the pastor, but to be pastored. And I think a healthy pastor positions himself to have pastoring poured into his life. Amen? And I said, look, Corey, here's the deal. It's just not in our budget this year to send my wife and I to the conference. And and but I'm being human enough to acknowledge I got a need. I I really feel my wife and I need to be there this year. I mean it takes a lot of emotional energy and spiritual energy to plan a church and it's just not in our budget i mean we're doing okay financially as a church so i'm not trying to say that but but there's other things that i have a hard time justifying i'm buying an airline ticket to florida when when we still need to do things as a church and, and Corey said to me, he said, No problem. Buy the airline tickets. You and your wife are going to come to Florida. And of course, with the weather like this, I did a double hallelujah. How I many you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I thinking, you take that, devil. You know what I'm saying? All right. So, anyway. Um, and. and and the same thing, a couple days later, one of our other overseers, Ken Ralston, I called Ken and said, hey, look, Ken, I, I, you know what, you're in my life for a reason. I just want you to know, right now, I'm just going through this little challenge. No big deal, don't anybody get alarmed, but I just, I'm just i being human enough to acknowledge that here's an issue, I don't want it to turn into a big issue, and man, Ken minister to me. This week, I was at one of the small groups. Every Most everybody had left. Two of our elders happened to be there. I think Ron Dykes and Mike Morche and their wives, they were there at the end of the small group. I got a text, and the text from my stepmother said, "We just rushed your dad to the hospital. And they're doing EKGs." When that's all I knew, and so we gathered in that circle and the barkers, and we just prayed, "God, you, you, my dad still needs to know you personally. So I pray you heal him." And and throughout the week, they would text me, "Hey, how they doing?" Here's all I'm saying: is everybody's going to need somebody. That And I would be no good to you if I walked on this platform today burdened down by all those different things. I've got to be human enough to say, I need some help sometime. I need some friends. And guess what? So do you. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. I get thirsty. You get thirsty, too. We need one another. That's the body of Christ. Come on, say a good amen to that one, right? Are you with me? All right. I gotta close up. I gotta close up the shop. So let me give you these last two. I think the sixth thing that Jesus would say to us is, "Be assured, there is a purpose and an end to your bad day." Whew, isn't that good? Yeah. There's a purpose and an end. He's saying, "He's saying, look, you live in this fallen world, but what the devil meant for bad, God, if you'll keep your heart right, can turn around and take that bad thing and make it good." I would say it this way. I would say, "Don't waste a bad day." Don't waste a bad day. If you have a bad day, what can I take from that day? If I fall down, what what can I grab while I'm down there? Does, does that make sense? And, uh, and and there's all kind of cliché, trite things that I could say, but the point is still true. Every problem has a day of expiration and a, or, or a place of termination and a date or a day of expiration. In other words, let me say it a simple way: This too will pass. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a purpose to it, and there's an end to it. It's not going to go on forever. You're going to get through it. Yea, though I walk through. Through. The valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to get through it. So the good news is, whatever you're going through right now, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus is still on the throne. God's not surprised. He's got it all under control. What the devil's trying to use to take you out, just keep trusting God, and he'll bring an end to it, and it'll bring you up. Amen? We see this in the life of Jesus. Just let me give you the scripture verse real quick. John chapter 19, verse number 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. There's the end of this bad day. And there was a purpose, we all know. He's going to defeat death, hell, and the grave. But he said, it is finished. Let me just give you this piece real quick. It is finished does not mean, oh, my life is over. Boom. No. He's saying it is finished. The reign of sin is done. And the reign of grace is now begun. It had a purpose and an ending fact Romans I I think I could be wrong Romans 5 17 says this that because of the sin of one man sin reigned but because of the second Adam Jesus grace now reigns isn't that wonderful amen let me give you the last one and we're done for today number seven the seventh thing that Jesus would say as we run this race is surrender your day to God and let it go at the end of the day You can lay in bed every night and work it out through your own mind and have no peace and have no joy and try to get it all figured out and stress out and freak out and flip out and all those kind of things. But at the end of the day, we've got to say, God, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. This is your issue. You're not surprised by it. I'm giving it to you. I'm letting it go. I'm powerless to do anything about it anyway. It's your issue. You've already won the victory. You've already done it all. And I'm just going to walk in faith. I'm going to let it go. Otherwise, it's going to steal, and I'm just going to be. Have you ever felt that you're just so burdened down? I mean, sometimes I've been where I've gotten just so burdened down. It's like I'm just paralyzed by it. Let it go. Let it go. Philippians says all things. Be anxious about nothing. Letting all things be in prayer. And Luke 23, our last verse, says this. Jesus called out with a loud voice. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. There's nothing else I can do. It's finished. It's your issue now from here on out. Put it into God's hands and let it go. And keep running your race because where you're at is not where you have to stay. Am I right? And your best days are yet ahead. Have you got something from the amazing race? I hope that you have today. I'll leave you with that. Amen.